Well, that is a great song for us to think about a thought here just for a minute. I was talking to somebody just recently about how hungry we should be to hear the word of the Lord. As you were singing those songs, that that particular song just a moment ago, um, Hamp, I might ask you to stay up here or come back up in just one second. Um, Does the thought hit you that Jesus is in our presence right now? And really, and I've mentioned this before, I say this a lot, and I know I sound just like a preacher a lot of times, but I, I just want us to focus on the fact that is there anyone more important to listen to right now than the Lord Christ? I mean, don't you just kind of find yourself wanting to just sit on the edge of your seat and just go, wait a minute, wait a minute, everybody be quiet, let me hear what he's got to say. Isn't that the way we should approach the throne? Is there anything more important? I mean, this was just so passionate in my heart as I was thinking about this, that we would just, every time we have an opportunity to hear the Spirit of God, that we would just quiet everything around us. It's almost like we're sitting around a crowd and said, be quiet for a minute, just listen. He's the king, is getting ready to speak. The Spirit of God is getting ready to speak into my hearts. We just sang that, that that's what we want, right? But I wonder how much do we really want the Spirit of God to speak to our hearts. Can we just go into a time of prayer just for a moment here? And Brother Hamp, if you just kind of play softly, if you would. I want us to go through just a few minutes here. Uh, I'm really bad at this, so I'm going to try to give you time to not have your thoughts interrupted too much and just kind of prompt you with a couple thoughts. Uh, but thinking that we are in the presence of the living God even right now. So let's let our distractions be minimal. So let's just start off with this. Just a time of thankfulness. Can we just spend a minute in thankfulness to Jesus and his church, his word for us? We just thank him for the people in our lives and even the ones that are hard to get along with. just the opportunities to serve him what a, what a blessing to serve the king of kings We just pray that we just be affected by the gospel this morning. Just changed in our hearts.
Lord, we just come to you now asking that you would be worshipped. Lord, that you would be honored and exalted in this place. Lord, that we would live every day with our minds focused on you. That the central focus of everything we do in this life would be to please you and to honor you. Thank you, Father, for the shoeboxes. Thank you for the lives that are going to be touched by them, for having a part of that. And so, Lord, we would just ask you to just come into our presence now. We know your spirit lives in us, but just give us a super abundant blessing today. That we might hear your spirit speak to us. That we'd be renewed and rejuvenated even as we go from this place. And we would know that we've met with you and you've been honored. Your name has been glorified. Your word has been lifted up. And that you draw men to yourself. Lord, we have no ability to do that. We have no talents or skills or some kind of physical tool to use to cause people to follow you, Lord. But your spirit does. And so we would ask that you'd use us with open hearts and ears this morning to go from this place later to be used as tools in your hand. So thank you, Father. Thank you for who you are and for all that you are. We praise you and we honor you this morning. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Ham. Thank you all for that. And um, again, I would just ask you to just, again, sit on the edge of your seat, just so longing to hear from the Lord today. Would you do that? As we get into chapter 5 now, let's find our place in Matthew chapter 5. We're starting the Sermon on the Mount, this glorious, glorious chapter. And actually the next two, chapter 6 and 7. And I just really want to give a preview of what this, these chapters will be about so we have a good handle on where the Lord is going with this and uh, what he wants us to know from it. So I've titled this, at least a series, I've created a new series because we're probably going to be in this for months, so I'll just warn you. We may be there. Uh, I want to take our time and go through this, not only because it's the word of the Lord, which we really have nothing better to do in our lives anyway, right? But there's so much that the Lord has to say to us. And so uh, we're going to take our time as we go through it. I've titled this series, The Foundational Truths from the Sermon on the Mount. That's purposeful, foundational truths. They are things that God is going to give us that are foundational to our lives. And we've got to hear it that way so that we understand again what the Lord is doing. Now, number one, for the title today, an internal change is critical. You see that in your bulletin if you have that. The foundational truth, number one, is an internal change is critical. It's absolutely critical. So let's stand together and let's read just verses one and two, actually. That's all we're going to get to today. Beginning in verse 1, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he began to teach them. Amen. Are you seated? You say, well, Pastor, that's not very profound. Not for me it's not, but it is from Jesus. Everything he does is profound. 
So let's just remind ourselves, as we left off in chapter 4, Jesus has made his entrance now. He's begun to teach, which is the giving of information, if you will. He has begun to preach, which is the burying it into the hearts of the people listening. And he has healed, which was to set him apart as the God come in the flesh so people would not mistake who he is. There are a lot of charlatans out there, and Jesus knew that. And so he purposefully established himself so that the people would know, hey, yeah, that's right, I did that, and that's real. Your loved one, your family member, your friend, your coworker, yeah, they were healed. The demoniac, yes. Was that real? Yes. Was it really epilepsy? Yes. Was he really paralyzed? Was she paralyzed? Yes. But I healed them. And can I say that this, again, is where I personally just don't get it? I struggle with this in my own flesh. I'm talking about that I personally don't get it. I don't get it why people can hear about the things of God and walk away unaffected. It staggers me. I mean, it really just staggers me. It is the amazing power of the blindness of Satan. How people can literally, week after week, let's just put it in Jesus' context, follow him and see what they saw. And know it to be true. I mean, there were people that knew people that had had issues all their lives, and they saw it, saw Jesus, and still they walked away unaffected. It's absolutely staggering to me. Well, it won't be staggering because many of those people will be in an eternal hell. They will be in an eternal hell. But that's the point of what we're doing here. These people are not changed, but they need to be changed. We need to be changed. We need to be affected. I've already talked about that a lot, but I want to keep reiterating that because I think that's the point where most people miss Christ. They're not affected in the depths of their heart. And so now as we get to chapter 5 here, let me just begin by saying, and you've heard this many times before, but this is foundational for any person to be truly saved, to be born again. There must be an understanding that they are first lost. They have to know that they're lost. They have to know that they are separated from Christ and that they are on their way into an eternal darkness that will be pain and suffering and torture, really, by their own hands. It's the letting go of God into the life that they have chosen for themselves. Many people will say, why does God do this? God does not do this. God has done everything necessary to save those that will come to him. By default, people reject him when they make their own decisions. But they have to know that. That's what witnessing is really all about. People will never turn to Jesus for salvation unless they first know that they're drowning, that they're dying. Years ago, I've shared this with you before, I was a lifeguard and there were two instances where I had an opportunity to go in after people. One was fake and I knew it. The guy wasn't drowning. He was trying to get me fired. It was my first day on the job. And I could just tell he was laughing with his buddies. But the next time, it was a young lady, and I could tell she was serious business. And the two events were totally different. The one young man just laughed it off and ended up getting fired later that day because the boss found out that's what happened. <clears throat> but the young lady was thankful. Not because I did anything great, but because there was a reality of a change there. There was one who didn't believe there was anything to this and was faking it, like many people spiritually fake their lives through, right? There are lots of people who fake their spiritual lives thinking that they're going to be able to do something to achieve heaven. It's not going to happen. Then there are those 
who truly humble themselves before the Lord because they know they have nothing to offer the Lord. And he rescues them because their hearts have been truly affected. Jesus came to save, beloved. He came to save, John 3:17. He didn't come to judge the world, but what? That the world through him might be saved. So how can anybody say that God doesn't love them and God has created this eternal cesspool of damnation for anybody that doesn't want to follow him? Well, he, he created that because he is holy and there's no only, only one other place to go outside of his inner dwelling, his kingdom, his heavenly realm, is to be separated. So we know these things, but often we just let them slide by. And we don't want to ever do that. So the Sermon on the Mount, and I say all that because the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' message to everyone who is lost. That's what it is. It's a message to the lost. Because Jesus knows if people are going to be saved, they've got to first know that they're lost. And he's going to show them how much they're lost. That becomes the point of this whole thing. And by the way, offer a way out. Isn't that the grace of the Lord? The Lord says to them, listen, here's what you must do if you want to be a part of my kingdom. But you're not going to be able to do it. They're going to get that. They're going to see it. We're going to feel it. But he's going to say to them, but I've come to give you a way through my grace to be saved anyway. So the important point to remember is that man cannot achieve anything salvation-wise on his own. No blessings on his own, no matter how self-righteous he or she is. No matter what he or she has done. No matter how many years they have been a part of the church or the Christian life or grown up in the Christian circles, went to Christian schools, none of that matters if a person doesn't first understand that they are hopelessly and desperately lost without the Spirit of God living in them, inside, inside. And by the way, that's going to become the point. It is an internal change. So witnessing is to accomplish that task. When our sisters go out, and by the way, they're canvassing the neighborhood greatly in an amazing way, physically, tangibly, to make people aware that there is a God who loves them. When they go out witnessing, one of the things that has to happen is people need to know that they're lost because they're not going to be able to come in any other way. And then they see Christ and salvation through him. So too often, I think our... Witnessing is kindness, and it should be. We should always, there's never an excuse not to be kind, right? But often our witnessing is kindness, our witnessing is friendship, our witnessing is doing for others, and again, there's all of that is right in its own way. It's necessary, it's good. But at some point, we have to get to the bottom line, which is there is an eternal life that's coming, and we're all going to be there. One place or the other. Now, the world is coming up with all kinds of excuses as to why that's not true. But we base our truth off of what the word of the Lord has said, right? It is his authority. The Bible is his authority. If you don't hold the, the Bible as his authority, it's free game. And that's typically where we find many people. So, unfortunately, that's how we witness with people. But Jesus doesn't do that in the sermon. Jesus is going to make very clear the path. And so you need to be listening to make sure, beloved, number one, that you're on the right path, and number two, you're knowing how to get other people on the right path. That's what we're called to do. So let's say it this way. 
For anybody to be a part of the kingdom of God, for anyone to be a part of the kingdom of God, there is an internal change that's required. We're talking internal. There must be a spiritual, internal, deep in the soul of the person, a change. If that change does not occur, then there is no salvation. Can't make it any clearer than that. And that's what Jesus is saying here. There must be a spiritual, internal, even affecting the moral mindset of the individual in order to be genuine salvation. Romans 3.23, back up to verse 22. There is no distinction, Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But I love this. Listen, he doesn't leave us there. Verse 24, being justified how? As a gift by his grace. As a gift by his grace. Do you just hear your soul just wanting to go, say that again, Jesus? Say it one more time, that by a gift from you, by your grace, you're willing to allow me into your kingdom? That's what he's saying. It's as if Jesus is standing with us this morning and he's saying to each of us through his word, listen, you are not worthy to enter into my kingdom. And I'm going to show you why in my sermon. But here's what I'm going to do for you. By my grace and my mercy, I will allow you to come in if you come my way. Now again, I don't know who wouldn't want to listen to that. Who would not want to listen to that? Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is what? It's death. But what? Don't forget the conjunction. But the gift, the free gift... The free gift of God is eternal life. Eternal life. I just want you to see I'm not making this up. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were what? Sinners. What did he do? Christ died for us. Notice in verse 9, much more than, it's like God is saying, hey, if he's talking to us publicly right now, he says, whoa, 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 don't put your heads down, don't lose this thought, listen, because he keeps going, having now been justified by his blood, that's Jesus, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of the Son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Look at verse 11. And not only this, it keeps going. Don't you love that? But we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. You know what the word exalt means? We boast we rejoice, really, is the better translation there. So what we're saying here is, as Paul is writing this, he's saying to the church, listen, folks, how can you just not explode internally with praise for God for the one who's done this? It's like Paul can't even contain himself, but he's having to write it in words because he's in prison. He's not there personally. He would write, write to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know? I love statements like that. I sometimes just so wish Paul and Samson, well, maybe not Samson, Moses would stand up here and would just read what, would, would preach. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't you know that? Don't you know that? Don't you know that? Listen, let the Spirit of God, forget me for a minute, let the Spirit of God speak to your hearts right now and listen to what he's saying. Do you not know? In other words, yes, you do know this. Yes, you know. 
They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals, nor thieves or covetous or drunkards or revilers or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And you say, praise the Lord, I'm not any of that. Well, that's not what God says. Such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the spirit of our God. Listen, religion is designed by Satan to cause people to be distracted. That's what it is. To think that they can get it right themselves. If I just do enough, if I act right, if I say the right things, if I just make it consistent in my life, then that's what's going to be good enough. That's not what the God of the Bible teaches us. We can't get there through our rituals and our actions. It is impossible because the kingdom of God, here we go, is inside of us. The kingdom of God is inside of us, beloved. It's an inside change, and it's inside that must change. It's the depths of our heart that must change. True spiritual living is inside. It's inside. Spiritual life is about the heart changing inside. Which translates into the attitude of the mind and the outward actions. So again, no man, no woman, no child can change their own heart. We don't have that ability. We can try and we do. That becomes religion. Religion is man's attempt to change himself. But it doesn't last because man doesn't have the power on his own to make those kind of changes. But God can do that. Praise his name, right? Aren't you thankful, beloved, that there was a day that God changed your heart? Should we ever forget that? Should we ever grow tired of hearing the Spirit of God say to us, you are my child? Should we ever grow tired of hearing the Spirit of God remind us of the day that we were born again? Where our eyes were opened? Where we saw the truth? And it penetrated into us? Should we ever forget that? No, we should never forget that. It should be our rejoicing every day. We should be training ourselves as we go about our daily routine to just be living in the presence of joy, which, by the way, is going to be the first, the second, however you want to write this, foundational truth of what it really means to be a believer. We'll see this next time, not today. But the first beatitude is going to be the Lord saying to us, you want to be happy? This is how you can be happy. That the Lord actually came to give us joy. He came to give us happiness, to give us contentedness. That's right. The world and Satan throws it at us all the time. Here's how you have to, this is what you got to, how about this? And you need this. And if you don't have that, you got to have this to be happy. And the world is looking for happiness. The world is looking for contentment. The world is looking to get rid of all the burdens. But they don't know how to find it. Because it's an inner change that only the Spirit of God can give. So that's where we'll go with that. Let's finish this thought. Five major reasons, one commentator said, the sermon is so important. Number one, it shows the absolute necessity of the new birth. 
As Jesus is going to culminate with this message in however long it takes us to get there, he's going to prove to us that there must be a new birth. You must be born again. You must, you must, you must, you must. Or you won't get it. Secondly, it drives everyone who is listening, that's key, to Jesus as the only hope of God's righteous standards being fulfilled. Jesus is the only one. He's going to prove that. It gives us God's pattern for success and, as I've already said, happiness. You want to be happy in this life? People say, I don't think you'd be happy anymore. I hear a lot of people that really live like that. They just flat out believe that you just cannot be happy in this life. Well, that's not what God says. Our God came, beloved, to give us this happiness. Again, we'll talk about that next time. Number four, it's the greatest resource for witnessing. This sermon becomes a phenomenal tool in the hand of God's people to say, let me show you how lost you are so that you can see the grace of God in your life. And finally, it's the only life that's pleasing to God is found in this sermon. The only life pleasing to God is found in this sermon. That's what one commentator said about all this. So let's look at the context here just for a couple minutes and we'll be done. When he saw the multitudes, in verse 1, he went up to the mountain, upon the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. So as the multitudes followed, and remember we said this was a monstrous crowd. I mean, gobs of people, if you can just imagine. Think of stadium size or more filled. These people were coming from all over the regions following Jesus. But the beauty of this is, and this is why we don't want to skip this, is that Jesus took time for them. Aren't you glad that Jesus took time for you? That you were on your way to the devil's hell and Jesus said, Hey, I got something for you. If you'll listen, I'll save you. And I think that's really something to note, that Jesus is passionate at being God. He's compassionate. What a thing to thank the Lord for. We're just praying in our prayer time, thankful to you, Lord, but thank thank him for being a passionate God who's passionate about rescuing people and compassionate about people and their needs. We saw that in chapter 4. He knew his purpose. He never got distracted He understood what his life was all about, what his role is all about. His timing is forever perfect. Listen, we don't need to be discouraged that we didn't reach the goal that we had set for ourselves. Why? I'm talking about on the shoeboxes. Because God is perfect in what he does. He didn't make an error. Do you realize that every box, even this one right here, I have no idea who that's going to go to or where it's going to go, but God has strategically planned in eternity past for that box to find its way exactly where he wants it to go. And that one under the bottom. You and I couldn't follow it if we left it out out on the sidewalk out here. But God has the ability to do that. He's passionate about what he does. And he doesn't ignore, he doesn't become frustrated because of what he's not able to accomplish because he can accomplish and does accomplish everything perfectly. What a profound lesson. I think if we just follow the Lord's examples, if we just look at him and follow what he says, we're going to see people change and you're going to make more of an impact. I'll make more of an impact in the world if we just follow what Jesus wants us to do. It's really not rocket science. It's just that simple. But so often, listen, we're just too busy. We're just too preoccupied. 
We just get so distracted. And I know it seems like we harp on this kind of thing a lot, but this is the message of the Bible. Jesus will say to us over and over and over again, don't get distracted by the things of this life. Don't let that happen. Follow me. Just do what I'm telling you to do. And you will find an inner contentment like you never knew possible. Perfect here? No. But contentment, yes. To be able to go on. We just get so distracted. Good things, important things, but distracting things. Now Satan's a master at that. He knows how to do it. He knows how to put little carrots in front of us and cause us to go after this or that. Good things, necessary things, but distracting things. It's the urgent versus the critical, right? You feel it, don't you? You know what I'm talking about. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. I mean, let's just be honest. At one point, this church had a lot of people serving in a lot of areas, and many of you do serve, but we had more. But as you look back and you watch how distractions have come along, people have been moved away, people have been drawn away, people have been, again, for lack of better words, distracted from the things that were of God for necessary things, but it becomes more important than the critical Satan's a master at this. I never forget my friend, the guy who was the roofer. Again, forgive me if I've told you all this. This was years ago. He had a business and he was just exploding in work. So much so that can you imagine doing a roof a roof at night on your house? I mean, he was a, kind of a small company, but he was renting lights just to get the shingles on because he had so much work. Well, his family was starting to suffer from it, so he went to a counselor, and thank God it was a, Christ, a Christian counselor, and he said to them, I don't understand what's happening here. God is so blessing my work, but my family's falling apart. And the counselor wisely looked at him and said, God is not blessing your business. He said, what? God does not distract you to make money so your family falls apart. And guess what? His family did fall apart. They ended up having a divorce, and it was just a long, drawn-out mess. Tragic. What I'm simply saying is, we've got to be watching our inner selves, if we're truly born again, number one, to make sure we're not being distracted by good things that cause us to fall away and to listen to what Satan is doing. We've got to stop doing that. We've got to be willing to follow what the Lord is saying and not be afraid. Stop long enough to speak truth into our own hearts and to hear what God is saying, mainly because it's challenging. It doesn't get results. A lot of times we do the things that we want to do or we feel are necessary, and then we just fall away. We don't ever want that to happen. Jesus had one goal, one goal, rescuing souls. That was it. You see, surely Jesus had more goals than that. Show me. I don't know. I don't know. He had one goal. He came to rescue souls, men and women. So why should we get so distracted with other things? And you say, no, Pastor, come on, you're not being realistic. I've got things to do. I've got bills to pay. I've got a job to do. Of course you do. So did Jesus. That's what we're looking in his life about. He traveled all around. He didn't just all of a sudden make those things happen. He had to stop and eat lunch. He had to get up and fix breakfast. He had to go to bed. He had to do all the things that we do. 
In fact, Jesus had the very same number of hours that each of us have in our week. Isn't that amazing? You realize the clock wasn't different then? Same number of hours. And this is not meant to be a guilt trip for us. I think it's just, we just need to reorient. We just need to focus. Somebody brought up, in fact, talking about focus, somebody brought up the other day, what's going to be our New Year's focus and for 2020? And I thought, okay, that's good. How about this? You say, oh, I shouldn't set numbers. How about in 2020, we focus on rescuing 20 souls and watching 20 baptisms? Is that too much to ask of the Lord? I mean, you think the Lord's capable of that? Now listen, here's the trick. The Lord is going to do it. But he comes to us as his church and he says, but guess what? You're my body. So you go and you do the work and I'll touch the hearts. Right? We all have a part to play in this. Now listen, I know what happens. All of a sudden we start getting afraid. Can I just fuss for a second? When Halloween was canceled, I thought, okay, just like Satan to do that. And my wife said, what do you think, Satan would cancel his own party? I thought, well, no, that's true. And she said, hey, you know, God didn't do that. I think that's smarter. I think God canceled Halloween so that we would be challenged. Because we say that we're a church who loves the neighborhood and we want to go out and we want to win people to Christ. And we did a wonderful job putting the bags together, but you know what happened when we set the next week last Sunday at 4 o'clock? You know who showed up? Two people. To go out and win souls by just dropping a bag of candy on the doorstep. Now, I know you hate to be fussed at. I hate to be fussed at. But all I'm simply saying as your shepherd is this. If we really say we believe something... Don't we follow through with it? I mean, really, don't we? If we really say we believe it, we will find a way to follow through with it. Do you see how distractions get in the way? We try really hard not to make anything burdensome. We just get distracted. Good things. But we get distracted. Because, let's just be honest, our inner self has not really been changed as much as it needs to be. So what we need to be praying is, God, remember me for good, like Nehemiah said. Give me grace. Give me grace to be the person that you want me to be. Give me the strength to be the person that you want to be. Because, listen, if the Lord Jesus himself came from the glory of heaven for one purpose, what do you think his focus for his church is? Is it so that we'll say, thank you, Jesus, for eternity. Now I'm going to go out and do what exactly? Oh, yeah. That's right. I'm supposed to be serving you. Now, we all have to flesh that out in our own way. So I don't want to be unrealistic here. We have to live life. And the Lord understands that. But where's the priorities? Where are our priorities? Jesus, as he sat down to teach the multitudes, knew that the crowd was distracted already because of what they had seen him do. 
They heard him teach. They heard him preach. They saw his miracles. And many, many, many would stop following him as we're going to see this as Matthew unfolds all this. Jesus knew that I've got to capture their attention immediately or they're going to miss it. And the way he did that was to say, you are lost if there's not an inward change. And when the heart is changed, you will follow. And 12 men listened. 12 men listened. And then others listened. And others listened. And because others listened, we have this blessing of being part of the church today. But we are the ones who got to pass it on. We're the ones who got to make it happen. We're the body. Is this becoming clear? I hope we're hearing what the Spirit is saying to us today. Every person that we come in contact with is an eternal soul going to heaven or going to hell. Had a great opportunity last week, this awesome kid at the gym. I had taken a shower there, was coming out, getting ready to go to work, and he was there, and God just gave me an opportunity to just kind of bring him aside and just start talking to him about spiritual life and I have to always try to be careful about it and don't want to embarrass anybody ever. Be gracious, kind. And where's a cross regularly? But when I began to ask him some questions, it became at least somewhat apparent. I'm not judging his heart, but he became apparent. Very interested, very concerned, but there was no real depth of knowledge there of what you know. And so we just try, right? We just keep trying and we keep giving the message and let God do the work. And when we witness to people, we need to see it as a holy time and a holy place. You think of a gymnasium, stinky, smelly, locker room, gross. But isn't it amazing that that can become a holy place? When Jesus sat on the mountain, that mountain all of a sudden became a holy place. We don't even really know what mountain it was according to history. It doesn't even tell us. Just as when Jesus went up on the mountain. But listen, when the Lord sat on the mountain, he began to teach, it became a holy place. It became a holy time. And he used it for that advantage. And we need to get that in our heads too. Is that when we're being used of the Lord, that is a holy time and a holy place. See yourself like Moses standing before the burning bush. You remember what the Lord told him? Hey Moses, what's on your feet? Take them off. Why? Why? This is a holy place. Anywhere the Spirit of God is, is holy, which means, guess what? We're holy. The Spirit lives in us. And so when we begin to do the work of the Lord, the Holy Spirit begins to make it a holy time and a holy place. Don't ever think, beloved, you're not being used of God as a child of His because you carry the Holy Spirit with you everywhere. You proclaim Him in everything that you do. So, Since Jesus' plan was to reach souls, as the disciples came in, he took advantage of teaching them. That was his focus. But what did he teach them? Let's look. The focus was the Sermon on the Mount. He taught them that it's possible to be truly happy. Again, that's where we're going to go next time. He's in the business. One commentator put it this way. Listen, Jesus is in the business of making people happy. Is that Jesus to you? I, I hope so. It's a good question for me because every day when I wake up, I'm not necessarily happy. I kind of look at the calendar and I think about the things that I got to do and I'm, "Mm." okay, I'm not always happy. But internally, there's a happiness that goes beyond the mundane things of the day. 
the routines of the day, right? Unfortunately, many people who claim the name of Christ don't understand that and they live in the misery of their unsettledness and discontentment to the point where the Spirit of God is not effective. We don't want to be like that. We want to remember what the Lord has taught us. We want to remember who He is. Remember that this world was created by Him. Can we just get that in focus for a second? When Jesus in the book of Genesis created everything that we, we are told that he created, he created it as good and then he placed man in the middle of it all to be his vessels to reach others. Again, you see how this becomes less and less rocket science. Many people will say, I don't understand the Bible. And that's honest. That's an honest answer, honest thought. But the simple thing is, is that God created all of this thing. Why would we get distracted with the things that are not things to be distracted with? When he came for one reason. In other words, if the boss says, and you all know this, if the boss says, I know you want to do that, but I want you to do it this way, then we say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, I'll do it that way. When the boss says, I came to rescue people, I want you to be a part of that, then we say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. The Nehemiah context is beautiful here. We're we're almost done. Nehemiah had it on his heart, his Old Testament, to finish the wall around Jerusalem. You remember the story? And it's such a blessing to watch. They finished it in just a matter of days and a little bit longer than that. The wall was finished. And when the people stopped, they stood back and they saw all that God had done. And here's what's recorded for us. In Nehemiah 8, he said to them, Go eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Don't be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for the 